Hello and welcome to Only Fools and Brotherly Forces, the Only Fools and Horses rewatch podcast by me, Bobby, and as always, my brother, Jamie. Good evening, Jamie. Good evening, Bob. How is everything going? Very well, thank you very much. How about you? Yeah, really good. Um, Kind of happy to see the back of the specials. Not because (laughs) I don't... I didn't love them, but I'm just really happy to be back into core only fools and horses, you know, just proper episodic, nice start and finish stuff. And, you know, a lot, it's more, it's back into the comfort zone. Yeah, I I partly agree with that. While also, I really noticed with this episode, the added length and depth it had now we're into the 50 minute episodes. There was a lot going on i mean not special level lot going on but certainly much more than you know the average episodes we've had before um i I really enjoyed it so i'm uh i think I, i think i'd thought of season six and a lot of them coming forward as a bit like it's kind of like the obvious choice of popular, you know what I mean? Mm, and it's almost yeah. like that obvious choice. And so as someone who's meant to be like a hardcore fan, like we kind of would consider ourselves to a degree, I, I almost want to prefer the kind of more niche earlier stuff. <laughs> and so I came into this with maybe a little bit of, ah, oh, this might be a bit, maybe this is even more obvious and more broad than some of the early stuff. But actually it was, it was just great. And I'm really looking forward to uh, all of this new stuff now. Yeah, it, I thought it was really, uh, really good episode actually, and and loads of things to allude through as we work through it. Uh, do you know how long your episode was? I I, mean, I do, but it, it slipped my mind. Well, my the version I watched was 47 minutes, so it feels it's a lot longer. It's all it kind of is close to double. Like it's 27 minutes for the original, so it's it's a huge chunk of extra and it did feel like there was loads more going on loads more talk and subtext and story building and all that stuff so uh let's talk about all of it it's series six episode one yuppie love stick up on So we open and Rodney wearing a very 80s double-breasted suit uh, is tapping away on his even more 80s looking computer. Which is completely ridiculously positioned for the audience's benefit. Yeah, see, I wondered about that because you do often see back in the day like keyboards and monitors were like, I don't know, it's almost like they hadn't all figured it out yet of how they wanted it to be (laughs) because they were still relying on paperwork because a lot of computer stuff was was data entry, right? So they'd have the keyboard in front of them, the papers and the screen on the side. I feel like it's something I've seen a lot, but maybe it's always for television benefit. But I think that's maybe how people used computers in the 80s. They watch TV straight on. Why would you watch something at a 90 degree angle? Well, that's the thing is they're not. Often it's just like data entry. So they're actually looking at the paper and they're just putting it into the computer. So I I think that that setup is quite common back then because what you're Mm. actually paying attention to is the paper. Yeah, I don't. I can't. I can't really see it. But who knows? I mean, I also have to just mention that that suit. I've got real hatred of this area, of this era, and the double-breasted suits. Double-breasted suits look awesome on some type of fat people, and really good <laughs> if you're very broad and it's fitted in just the right way. But on basically anyone tall and slim, a double-breasted suit just always looks crap. And so there's just this 
five-year, ten-year period in like the late 80s, early 90s of just everyone only wearing double-breasted suits and people with Rodney's build, it just looks ridiculous. Just looks like you're wearing your dad's jacket. It always does, even if it's fitted as well as it can do. I mean, to be fair, anything and everything that Rodney's ever worn in every episode has looked like he borrowed it from his dad. Yeah, true. That is kind of his MO. Um, but Rodney is talking about getting his future sorted and, you know, he's looking to get this diploma. And uh, they, they talk about that Dell's going through a bit of an image change and he's he's watched Wall Street and he's got really into Gordon Gecko and wants to be a high-flying yuppie. The way Dell was telling the other day, the future's never looked more promising. Oh, well, but that's all talk, innit? Haven't you seen the change in him? He's gone all high-powered and trendy, hasn't he? I mean, he saw that film... Wall Street about six bloody times, didn't he? And there's a character in that, right, called Gordon Gecko. Now, he's a real tough, high-flying whiz kid, right? And Dell wants to be just like him. He doesn't seem to realise that Gordon Gecko had brains. <laughs> yeah, th- this bit annoyed me a little bit, just because and the episode's already called Yuppie Love. Dell is walking around with a file of facts and the braces. Like, I would have thought all these references were kind of enough. Did we really need to have it spoon-fed to us? It's like, just in case anyone wasn't keeping up, the thing we are parodying is Gordon Gecko. Uh, it just seemed a little unnecessary to really bring up the film. I don't know, it seemed odd. To, it seemed odd to point out the thing you're parodying like that. I don't know, I mean, my... Maybe it's too soon to say, but one of my overall thoughts of this episode was it was a real setting scene episode, and I won't say that anymore. But I won't go into that anymore now. But uh, I think the intro is doing exactly what it does for the rest of the episode, which is kind of set that scene. Um, but Dell enters quite literally belt and braces. Uh, did you notice he's even got a little cigar holder tip on his cigar? I did not notice that. You know, like the old Cruella de Vil one she has on her cigarette. She's got a little cigar one as well, which I'd never picked up on before. Interesting. And he comes out with uh, something that sort of is a bit of a theme moving forward for a little while, which is food is for wimps. So a few things sort of comes out that's for wimps. I don't even know really what the angle is there, but he's, he's too good to be showing weakness or whatever it might be. Well, I get the feeling that real yuppies were all taking far too much cocaine to worry about silly little things like food. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't think that's a thing for Rod. Uh, for I don't think that's a thing with Dell. So I don't really know if, if that tracks. But definitely, that's a thing for proper yuppies. Does that happen on uh, Wall Street? Co- co- yeah, there's definitely some cocaine involved. Is that in the it. one where Leonardo DiCaprio did it with Matthew no, McConaughey? No, that's Wolf mm-hmm. of Wall Street. Oh yeah, that was Wolf of Wall yeah, Street. Yeah, Wolf Wall Street is the. Um... But didn't didn't Leo redo the remake of Wall Street anyway? No, no, there was a there was a sequel to Wall Street called Money Never Sleeps with um, Shia LaBeouf, but uh, that was a it was a sequel. The original was with um, Charlie Sheen talking of people doing a lot of cocaine <laughs> i actually thought <laughs> i actually thought it was a uh there was a remake of it as well though no just the sequel oh but in the sequel Sh- shia labeouf basically plays like a a reincarnated version almost to a way of uh of mine it's a bit like a bit like a modern reboot oh no you said it's a sequel it is a sequel, it's like yeah. a modernized reboot sequel yeah, it's it's a twenty years thirty years later sequel. So yeah, reboot sequel thing. Oh, cool. 
But Dell's talking about buying the flat, so you know business must be going okay. Feels like he's kind of catering with a higher standard of goods. Like he's got the coats, although they're dry clean only and raincoats. They they look quite good. You know, in recent episodes and times, he's been selling cordless phones and computers, all much higher ticket items than, you know, say the porcelain cat or tights worn by whoever's mum for 75 cents ago, you know, that we're thinking about in the first episode. So, um, yeah, they've had a bit of a blinder. You need money to make money and they seem to have gone up in the world. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's done coats before. He's on the old Camelair coats, but this is, yeah, the, the kind of modern 80s raincoat, um, which I've actually never had a raincoat like this. I've always quite wanted one. Not that I ever wear a suit these days, but if I did, I'd probably have a coat like this. I also found it interesting talking about the whole buying of the flat, So because um, the, there was like the government um, right to buy scheme that was a huge thing in the, all the way through the 80s of like a, it was a big like Tory policy. Um, very controversial. Obviously, won't go into it. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. There's not a lot of um, like references to that kind of stuff going on in the world. So um, I found that quite interesting because that was very very topical, really, for them to be talking about buying the flat. Yeah, I didn't really think about it too much other than the fact that they've been there for a million years, and and it seemed like a sensible thing to be doing. Rodney thinks it's a pretty good place to be, though, and, and doesn't think there should be selling it. Thinking it from our business point of view, eh? I mean, this flat is in a wonderful position, isn't it? I mean, it's 15 minutes from the West End, it's 15 minutes from the motorway, and 15 minutes from the Grand. <laughs> <laughs> but Dale starts talking about all the work that he's put in and, you know, that he's been financing the family for years and, and Rodney's just being a moan git, as usual, just finding some way to care about something he doesn't really need to care about yeah obviously Rodney's making his little political stance which which was a you know a real you know genuine political opinion of the time not that Rodney would ever turn down money if it was thrown at him we all know that but it is interesting to hear Dell talking about his, his grafting like he really has you know Dell has properly kept this family together for so long making all the money he's completely justified in everything he says and Rodney proceeds to tell some long tale about one Sunday afternoon he went and did a work when he was 11. And Adele's like, all right, you grafted as well once. One Sunday when you were 11. <laughs> it kind of uh, explains a lot of the reason why Dell's not very academic. You know, he's spending so much time at a young age working straight away. It, you He's missed all of that sort of time where you're a, a teenager and you're you're getting a greater vocabulary and understanding and probably even learning in later school and college and and he's just kind of been on his own doing his own thing. So I think it kind of explains it in a way. But I think it's a really good opening scene off the back of what we were talking about the last few episodes about Sullivan needing to reinvent or at least update or modernise the the trotters and the show. It's all kind of getting hashed out here nice and early. It's like a little walkthrough into, you know, what's about to come. That's the trouble with you, Rodney. You don't move with the times. The world is changing out there. It's a financial jungle. It's a question of he who dares wins. He who hesitates, don't. (laughs) The thing I found quite interesting is, to me, yuppie is a derogatory term when I think about it. Like... I found I thought of a very good um, sort of modern equivalent, 
even though they're very different lifestyles, but in terms of equivalency, I think hipster is quite a good one because everyone knows what everyone at the time, they knew what a yuppie was. There were people that wanted to be yuppies, but they wouldn't have wanted to call themselves yuppies. And I think it's kind of the same with hipsters now. And I can take the piss out of hipsters because I have a beard and work in a brewery. So I basically am one. So, you know, no offense to hipsters. But I always think of yuppie as being a term that no yuppie would want to think of themselves or would refer to themselves as a yuppie, even though everyone that ever met them would. I don't know for definite, but my impression of both of those things is at one point when it was first coined, it might have been something to that, that had either been idolised or was like people were like, oh, you know, I want to be a yuppie or that didn't have that stigma attached to it, but then very quickly became a sort of point of derogatory um a point of down not down talking a point of insult yeah a point of <clears throat> a point of insult or um you know a way to 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 really you took you ten minutes to come up with insult, and then you made said and, meaning you had to then come up with another word. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you struggled yeah, to come up with the first word. It's because I don't like it. Cause yeah, I know, but don't put right. yourself into another corner. Well, I'm just hoping that inspiration takes over at that point, <laughs> it and it didn't. just naturally happens. Sometimes it does, though. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, as soon as you said and, I went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm probably just going to keep that in the pod, because I can't fuck to think of a new word. <laughs> Um, it, did you actually know the uh, etymology of the term yuppie? I had no idea. Have you researched it? Please enlighten me. I have. Um, young urban professional, or possibly young young up and coming professional, but I think urban professional was was more common. I actually have heard that before. Yeah. I think it's a bit like uh, chav. You know, it has that kind of. <laughs> it's like the complete op- not the opposite. It was like a flipped coin to chav. What did what did chav stand for? Council House and Violence. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't. I didn't know that at all. Did you not? Interesting. <laughs> well, I don't. Say, I don't frequent or with these chav people. Like, I believe I me, know. no one who is a proper chav knows what chav means. I can assure you, <laughs> comes to the territory. But yeah, I've, I've found the whole um, the, that whole idea of. I think, like you say, it was something to be aspired to probably at the start, and the second it got the name Yuppie, I think is when it became a negative, very similar to Hipster. And Yuppies got accused of, you know, being very um, uh, self-obsessed and associated with gentrification in a negative way, and it's got like a whole history behind it. It's a very loaded term, so it's it's quite... It, it was quite interesting looking into it, actually, and the idea that Dell would want the label. But we leave the flat and cut to Dell and Rodney in the van, and Dell takes a little sidetrack on the way to taking Rodney to his evening class, and they they pull up at the King's Road and they get out King's and Avenue. Sort of admire King's Avenue, and uh, they kind of admire this house, which they say is worth three quarters of a million. I mean, that house now is probably worth what five million. Oh, at least just, it's probably ten, just for its location. Let yeah. alone anything else. If they drove past it between Peckham and going into town, <laughs> and it was that house, that is worth ten million. Um, but Rodney, again, I, I'm not going to continue this slagging off on Rodney because I'm bored of it. Literally, I'm bored of him and bored of me slagging him off. But he <laughs> talking about loads of people being able to live on the land and having a big house as a moral, whatever Rodney. But 
still wants to be successful, and he says so. Look, Rodney, I want to be successful, but, but not for the money. I want the power and the influence that success brings. And what will you do with all this power and influence? Spend it. <laughs> it, it, it. This did remind me of one little quote which I've heard before. Because um, there is, and I don't actually agree with Rodney necessarily, but I do find this quote quite interesting. Um, I really wish I knew it was from. But the the kind of the start of it is, you know, what is there is nothing worse than socialist architecture because people think of like housing blocks and all that sort of stuff. And there is one thing worse than socialist architecture, and that is homelessness. So that's the point that Rodney's trying to make. I find it hard to comment on that, like. <laughs> I'm just a simple man of simple pleasures and rarely ever delve into that sort of side of politics. I love having debates about some political things or not that that is necessarily political, but I think oh, it's definitely it's, political, but yeah, I'm not stating an opinion of either side. It's more an interesting thought provoking sentence that you might read yeah. about, you know, and it, it, I just remember reading the quote and finding it interesting. So Dell drops Rodney off at class and is just properly taking the piss and, and pretending like his, he's his dad. It's very funny. Hurry up, Rodney. He'll be calling the register in a minute. <laughs> All very good bits. Yeah, good, real good banter. Um, I thought of this and probably later on in the episode when it when it comes up, like, Rodney's so unwilling to just go along with the bants. Like, there's so many times where it's just genuinely funny and... The amount of times that me and you or, you know, you and your mates Mark, will just take the piss out of each other and it just becomes like a one-upmanship and you're taking the piss. He just never takes it like that. He's always just like, it's such a funny thing that Dale's doing. He could just like not be so uptight. But it wouldn't be funny if he wasn't. Well, no, it could be funnier if he was playing along with it. Oh, it's and definitely funny that he gets annoyed. <laughs> And then we get the first glimpse of Cassandra, played by Gwyneth Strong. And uh, we don't see too much, but we just get a little cheeky smile, and she looks cute, and, and Rodney gives her a little smile back. But Dell is distracted by these two sorts heading into the wine bar and starts to make his way with his briefcase and file facts in hand. Because if you are the best, but you don't ask questions, then brother, I'm your man. The Del Boy wanders into this fancy wine bar. The, the whole bent elbow holding Filofax are literally not just in his hand, but to make sure everyone sees it, he's holding it perpendicular to the floor with a 90 degree bent elbow. It's madness. It's pretty much above his bloody head when he first <laughs> walk, when he's walking across he the... He waves at everyone. Yeah, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, I don't know if you knew anything about this um, building, but it's the same building they use in a later episode for... Uh, the One Eleven Club in Fatal Extraction. Yeah, I read that, but I don't. I don't remember it, so I have to look forward to that. It's known as the Old Granary in um, Bristol, but it's nice that we have a real venue there and not just a TV set. Because yeah, we do cool. get a lot of TV sets. Mm, yeah, I really liked it. I, I, I like the. <laughs> I like those kind of bars. They <laughs> look quite good. <laughs> it looks like a place I go for a drink. I don't know if you're going to bring this up later, so I'm just going to bring it up now in case you don't bring it up later. Did you note the song? Oh no! Really? There's so much mu- there's so much music in this episode that that oh, mate, I didn't you haven't tra- what's going on. Okay, interesting. I was convinced this would be the music that you would choose for the episode. Oh yeah, it's, what it's is it? Awesome. Oh no, what is it? I did find the name. Well, I mean, if it's not the episode you're going to play for the music, you can play a bit here. 
Oh, is it? But it's it's not it's not a million miles away from that. Here we go. Al Bali Mackin Wiki Wacky Down the Wacky. Say that all again. Mackin Wiki Wacky Down in Wakiki. I did it better the second time. (laughs) But if you skip to about twenty seconds. That's when it really kicks off. Oh, I just closed it off to listen to the first minute. Uh, first no, no, 10 20, you want to get to the 22nd bit and then it's epic. Oh, it's Honolulu, Wakiki. Yeah, it's, it's like a Hawaiian song, yeah. Hawaii. Reference to Hawaii, yeah. That is actually a tune. Good shout. Um,. Yeah, that might have been nice, but you know, now we've discussed it and we're having double tunes, so well, everyone's hey. a winner. You get one for free, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, a little pivot back into the plot. Uh, Dell tries to chat up these posh girls, but for some for someone that's been historically quite good at reading people, he's always terrible at reading the body language of females that despise him instantly. <laughs> I think he just finds it so unbelievable that someone would take one look at him and hate him. <laughs> I think he thinks he's always starting from like a fairly reasonable benefit of the doubt zero, and he doesn't realise that some people have instantly decided he's a piece of dirt. Because <laughs> you know the, the posh, like the the you know this, some of the posh people he's talking to here, like the Arabs woman and stuff. I mean, she's she's made her mind up before he even opened his mouth. Oh yeah, definitely. But the less classy of this, I'm just going to explain the joke away for you here. So he orders a uh, a Beaujolais Nouveau. <laughs> you looked then, up as well, did you? Um, I, I pretty much instantly guessed what it meant and just confirmed it by researching it. The, the kind of contextually, you can guess what it means, especially with the word Nouveau, which yeah. clearly means new. Yeah, I, w- I must admit, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I kind of thought it was going to be some sort of specific reference to uh, a time where the year was irrelevant but I didn't I didn't really get it so I did have to google it yeah so I mean what happens he orders the Beaujolais Nouveau caused the the bartender back over to then say 79 and the uh, the, the posh girls laugh and the, the joke is that Beaujolais Nouveau is a very young not very fermented and and very quickly sold wine. It's one of the the greatest exports of, of French wines. So they're always very new. They're only good really for a year, or at least they're in their peak for a year. Yeah, so, they're deliberately sold as new. That's kind of the point, right? Yeah. So the 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 bottle of seventy nine was would would be a pretty terrible bottle. <laughs> Did you um, recognise the barman? I'd be Ooh. I'd be surprised if you did. No, give me a second. As soon as you said that. Ah, oh, it's funny because sometimes I I mentally know things, but my brain doesn't really tell me. And then as soon as you prompted me there, let's have a look. I'm just gonna see if I can see his. Yeah, I do know this guy. I thought I recognised him from lots of things, but I had to check his IMDb, and there was only one thing I could think of that I must know him from, which I was surprised because it was a small part. It must be where I recognise him from. Let me look at his face. I'm. This is like my superpower, so I know that I know him, and I knew that I knew him when I saw him, but didn't clock it. So I'm just trying to get to a picture of his face. Hang on. I don't think I genuinely would believe you if you told me that you hadn't cheated, because it is very obscure. 
I know, but but genuinely, this is like my power. I'm looking at him now, and I know it. And if you gave me two or three minutes, I would definitely get it. But I don't want to sit here for two or three minutes thinking of it. But I know that I know it, and I know that I could get there. So give me one minute. I'll be so angry when you tell me. I, I don't think you're gonna. I, I really don't. Maybe, maybe you know. Maybe you know it better. I just know. I just know that I know him. Unfortunately, it's it's such it's such a quick thing that I trying to pinpoint where it is. I don't know. I, I know you do quite like the show he's in. He literally plays a tiny part, like yeah, less of a part, more like a Sid, less than Sid. Has he got? Is he got a West Country accent when he's doing it? No, but it know. is his accent that is notable. It's regional, isn't it? Very regional. Are you right there, Paul? Is it like something like that? I kind of feel like it's not. It's not really a miles away. Like farmery, kind of a lot. Yeah. See, I told you, I do know it. Bit, bit more west than west. Welsh. Mm. He is Welsh. It's not Gavin Stacey, is it? It is. Is it Gavin Stacey? Yeah, I mean, it's fucking Welsh, mate. Yeah. How many other Welsh comedies? How many other Welsh things are there? Literally, <laughs> the only thing to come out of Wales ever. He is. Um... Several of his credits are are our Welsh language credits. Oh yeah. Mm. So he's proper Welsh. Yeah. What part does he play in that? I can I can I can see it. He talks to Ness and says something like, "Oh, you can't do that, Ness." Or "How are you doing, Ness?" Or something. But... He plays the vicar. Ah, oh, the. Vicar. So the most famous scene is when he's talking about um, uh, sandwiches being a metaphor for God to Gavin. Oh yes, yes, of course. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. the clip. You... That's the clip you're gonna you're gonna put in. Who here likes sandwiches? I, I knew that. I definitely knew it as soon as even before I re really looked at his face and you said, "Did you recognise the waiter?" I was like, I didn't even look at his face when it was going, but I think I just. Had an imprint of him. I recognise him straight away, but there's no, I never in a million years would have got Gavin and Stacey or that character. I didn't know him that well. Oh, I'm really glad I got there. It's, I feel like it's kind of a prompt, but at least I was able to prove it by uh, by the... Name anything else to come out of Wales. <laughs> I mean, I'd already said that he had an accent. I'd yeah, that, that was quite there. good. You tipped me over the edge. Anyway... Uh, and then we head over to the class and we get the first little exchange between Rodney and Cassandra. It's in the hallway and Rodney's doing his standard terrible attempt at trying to chat up a girl. And Cassandra says that the reason that she knows it's his coat is because his name's written in it. And again, I was saying about playing onto the banter. If I was in Rodney's position, like I'd be riding the shit out of that. I would be laughing and be like, oh, my brother, he's such a joker. He's all doing these things like just turn it into a positive so easily and yet he like is all sheepish and useless and embarrassed about it um yeah he is useless so cassandra initially gives a very um weirdly dismissive whatever reaction to the whole story but then does politely decline his offer for a drink and accepts his offer to walk her to the car or all five meters of it and that's a really great bit that it's again a very visual thing that that we can't quote or what have you, but it's literally two steps, and uh, it, it's one of those um, very unexpected jokes. Like you don't even have time 
to assume what's going to happen it's so sure yeah like some sometimes there's like a joke coming and you get time to think about it and you're like oh no it's, you don't even get that it's just mm. oh there it is joke punchline bang i think if it was five ten meters it would have been funny but you might have had time to think about it it's literally three paces you you just don't even see it coming it's like man walk into a bar ouch kind of joke <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she offers him a lift home which he accepts but unfortunately uh del comes out and starts shouting his name so his chance is lost impeccable timing from del as always and uh, rodney is obviously livid and frog marches del back down into the wine bar I found this really weird how um, when when Dale's talking here and they go back into the wine bar because he's got his briefcase in one hand and his file of facts in the other, he's got like no hands free, which I find just such an odd way to exist. Like, I couldn't walk around without hands free for any length of time without getting very stressed. It's like uh, loads of, I guess mostly girls, but not not uh, exclusively these days have clothes without pockets, whether they be running shorts or yoga pants oh i think it's been a problem for all of time for girls like the whole yeah that's uh uh, now but but they didn't have smartphones 20 years ago so now so many young girls constantly have smartphones just always in their hands like i need to have my hands free i hate having things in my hands the whole time yeah hands hands are for doing shit not just holding shit that's what bags are for but i I feel quite sorry for dell here he he's very like He's waited around for Rodney. Um, he wants him kind of to be a wingman. He's like, hey, come here, have a drink with me. He's been like really, really nice. Rodney's just like, oh, nah, don't fancy it. I'm going out. But not home. I'm just going out somewhere else with other people and not you, which I thought was a bit harsh. Yeah, I actually said exactly the same. I, I have the quote verbatim, bit harsh, that he... Uh, that- I, I I didn't remember that either. He no. like he gives this impression that he's just not up for it and tired and whatever. And then we instantly cut to the next scene, and it's him, Jevon, and Mickey living it up in the nightclub. Yeah, I just think that I would, I, I would never have done that to you. <laughs> not that we I barely ever lived together for, uh, at, at an age where we went out drinking, but uh, but yeah, what what an odd thing to do to say to like your your brother or any kind of close friend to be like, ah. Oh, I'm going to go out with other people instead of you. Hmm. Did you... How? Uh, one of the reasons I asked you how long the episode was was because there is a reasonably long cut scene from here. I don't know if you knew it and or watched it. Are you sure there's a reasonably long cut scene and you haven't misinterpreted what you read and it's actually a very, very short cut scene? No, because I've watched the cut scene and compared it to what I watched as well, so I know precisely what the difference is in this scene. Isn't the difference about ten seconds? No, it's it's good. It's a good minute. It's a minute and seven-ish seconds. Really? Do you want to send yeah. it to me? So, well, it's actually on YouTube. So I'm going to ask you first to see which version you had. You watched it on BritBox, did you? Um, I actually compared the BritBox and Gold and saw they were the same. When, well, sorry, when it first goes to that scene, is it Jevon saying? That's the one that I choose, or whatever, like that. Uh, no, it's all about uh, Rodney Jevon. It's sort of like uh, Mickey is insulting Del Boy and all that stuff. Yeah, so so Hulk's there's, there's a whole there's a whole minute before that. Let me send you the YouTube link because I actually found it on YouTube. <laughs> Jevon, Jevon, what? See the blonde bird? I've had her and her mate. See that black sort of the back there? 
She's crazy about me. Phones me all the time. You're a hell of a man, Mickey. Mickey, are you doing this for charity? What do you mean? Well, I just wondered whether it was sponsored bullshit. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth, Rodney. Hi, Jeffon. Whatcha, darling? Not dancing tonight? Not this precise moment in time. But being a creature of impulse, I'm cold like a spring. Ready to move with sinuous grace when the music takes me. If either of you two should be in the vicinity when this occurs, who knows? It could be your lucky night. <laughs> um, so, just to hit that minute there, definitely a few bits of gold there, lots of funny uh, stuff going on. Um, Mickey is quite literally just like Jay from Between Us. Look, you lot can stay in fingernails' ass if you wanna, but I'm off to find the clunge. And is, you know, spouting off some sort of big I am stuff when it's obviously clear, clearly rubbish. And Rodney's equal to it, and he's, you know, he's just slagging him off. Got a good joke going on, but it's funny because there's there's a whole minute and twenty seconds there which is cut off, and I remember that bit because I remember. Rodney oh, yeah? specifically saying bullshit, and it's that all tie into our to the VHS. And I, it's funny because I thought I had what I watch it on is um, a copy of what I have on DVD on my laptop anyway. But uh, I thought that it was the the original VHS version. But the fact that that isn't in there means that it probably isn't. So there may well be other little bits in there that we've missed off as well. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely plenty of cutting that going going on. I think this is interesting. I think maybe it was cut because it was seen as maybe too blue for Only Fools. Like, it is a bit, like you say, I mean, he basically sounds like Jay from The Inbetweeners, and that's very, like, you know, very edgy kind of blue comedy in many ways. And this this is pretty, I don't know, it's pretty crude for Only Fools, for Mickey to be saying, I've had her, I've had her. That's... It's not crude for any fools. It's just Mickey being a penis, isn't it? Like, you, if you have characters like that, that I don't think that lowers the tone of the of the show. It it's part of that character within the show. Like, no, I just, I, I, I it just seems, it seems to 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 talk about sex, so like blasé and kind of in in that way, it seems a bit ruder than Only Fools ever deals with sex. So I, I, it just seems a little out of context for them. But I mean, it was in the original airing, and they um, they were obviously less. It, it's weird that we've got more prudish. I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> so it's it's very odd that it was cut later. Um, but yeah, interesting, very interesting. But yeah, um, go to YouTube, search for Yuppie Love Missing Scenes. It, it'll probably come up the first one. It's one of the ones from uh, the Only Fools and Horses Appreciation Society, onlyfoolsandhorses.net. Um it actually shows a whole five minute scene there. So you get a minute and 20 of scene that you've not seen before. And you get loads of stuff in the middle that we are used to. And then another bit is cut at the end, which is, um, which is really weird. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. So both Jevon and Mickey are up for trying on with this girl on the other side of the room. Both fail. And we learn that it is Cassandra Rodney, sees a, a good opportunity to take advantage, gets a little bet in for a score and starts making his way down towards that. Yeah, he's got good odds there, the old two to one. 
<laughs> he's, done, he's done well there. I mean, as far as Jevon and Mickey are concerned, he's got no none to none because he's useless. But anyway, both Jevon and Mickey have called her a lesbian, which is a standard guy who can't close the deal response. Um, but but he heads over, and uh, obviously they know each other. And th- this is the bit that's cut. Um, if you go to that YouTube mm. clip, and if you go Watch right it. to the end, there, 40, 41, 441, there's, there's this really honest moment that they share in this cut bit, assuming that you yours was the same as both of yeah, the ones was, that yeah. I watched. What happens is he approaches her, uh, he smiles, no words are said, cuts to Jevon on Mickey looking surprised, then they walk to the dance floor. That's the cut version. In the uncut version, this is the dialogue. Um, was there something? Oh. Would you like to dance? You know... With yes, thanks. And it's just, it's a really nice, honest moment. There's like yeah. a real nice romance there between them. And it just feels really genuine. And I have no idea why you cut out those, what, five seconds? Ten seconds? What, what's all that about? Yeah, it's very odd. I don't really get that at all either. I think it they both came across well. And the, the idea that, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I can't explain it. I'm not going to even bother trying. I have no idea why you'd cut that. I remembered. I didn't remember that bit with Mickey at the start of this scene being cut from the old version that we had on VHS. But I do remember that bit being cut, him asking her to actually dance. I think that what it might possibly be, which is always sad, I did read a few different things saying that they had used two different soundtracks for some of the parts or the entire scene in this episode. So because it goes to non-speaking from Rodney leaving. The only thing I can realistically think is copyright for the music, which would have been potentially hard um, tracked over their dialogue. So you can't use it. So you couldn't use it. So you'd have to have no dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you can't explain it, it's usually copyright. That makes total sense. That'll be why it's cut. It's kind of a shame, really. Yeah, tragic, because it's a nice bit. Yeah, it really adds so much more to their entire exchange that that you don't get because of that. Um, so yeah, a bit of victim of copyright there, but but what are you gonna do? We head back into the wine bar, and we get a bit of a crazy coincidence. Who wanders in in his lovely blue suit, which we all enjoyed so much in dates? It's Trigger, complaining about being barred from the Nags Ed. There's a lovely little bit here where. Trick is trying to remember the word defamation and Dale comes up with the alternative of slander and he's like, yeah, that'll do. And I really enjoyed. Another thing I read here, and I, I don't know if it's true, it's one of those things that I couldn't really check, but I heard that uh, Roger Lloyd Pack wasn't initially written into the bar scene and that he was rehearsing for another TV series in the same building as Only Fools and Horses, which seems pretty random, seeing as though this is an actual location and not a TV studio, but wandered there during a rehearsal break and said, anything you want me for. And apparently Sullivan added him into the scene, which it all seems a bit far fetched, although it's certainly not impossible. Yeah. I, I I agree with you on that. It seems far fetched. I think you have to have Dell with a foil in this scene. I mean, I don't, I don't think you'd write it with him on his own at the bar, having it happen. 
Although that does explain the for me the two weird coincidences that triggers even there. I mean, all the bars and all of London, and they're not anywhere near you had their to walk house. Into mine. <laughs> yeah, and they're not anywhere near you know the house, and Trigger just happens to walk into that same one. It's either something that gives credence to something that that is rubbish because it explains a reason as to why Trigger's there, or it is possibly a reason to 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 actually explain why he's there, which is completely random. Yeah, I it could be. It's not it's not impossible, but it seems uh seems a stretch. I think Trigger is uh very important that he is here. But uh but before we get that infamous moment, we do cut back briefly to the to the nightclub. Jevon has pulled. Rodney is also uh taking a lift home with Cassandra and Mickey manages to um invite himself along and you know he's going to be a massive pain in the ass but Rodney can't really weasel his way out of it but we then jump back to the wine bar yeah Dell's sort of trying to coach Trig into how to act around these people and how to impress and one of the things he says is that you need to talk about money I saw one of them old five pound notes the other day <laughs> um, which, is, which is a really which is a really good line and it's funny because we're getting a bit of role reversal here. Dell's normally the one that that's showing up Rodney with his, you know, unacademic self and his misinterpretations. But now Dell's pretty much head in hands at at Trigger's walliness, and he's getting a bit of his taste for his own medicine um, in that one, which I thought was quite cool. Absolutely. But of course, here comes the um, infamous scene. There's no other way to put it. Everyone knows it. We don't even need to play it, but yeah, yeah, we all we all know that's going to happen. It, you know, it's probably the most well-known, iconic moment in any part of the series. The most replayed moment, and of course, it had to be a physical moment from the legend that is David Jason. And Jason. if what Jason, yeah, and if what I read again is to believe to be true, not only was it David Jason's prowess of acting but actually it was largely constructed by Jason um, from what I read uh, sort of it was initially written that he sort of stumbled and and there was talk about whether he would fall over or not or he, he fell over very differently but David Jason specifically thought that he needed to not look where he was going and that it would be a lot funnier in that way so I think it's kind of a amazing testament to his ability as an actor and also his connection with comedy that that David Jason is very responsible for the most iconic scene in Only Fools. I think it's a very, very difficult thing to pull off. There's a reason it's so well known. He does talk about this a lot in his autobiography about the history he has with slapstick and he is a very physical comedian. We've seen it a lot throughout Only Fools that he, he can do this. It's kind of in his arsenal and underused a lot in, in the character of Delboy. But it's just it's just perfect. The way he falls, you've then got Roger Lloyd Pack doing the perfect reaction of looking for him. You've then got his perfect reaction of when he then finds him and looking equally confused. And um, then Delboy walking off very dazed and confused. Yeah, the moment itself... 
and I'm only saying this out of honesty, has kind of lost like all of its pizzazz for me. Like watching it, I I had a smile of recognition, but really I've seen it so many countless times. It is literally just a fond memory, and there's no big laugh for me at that moment. You know, I think it deserves all of the praise it's got, and it's definitely it is definitely one of the funniest moments. Um, but I can't help but find the sort of more nuanced and the things I've forgotten a lot funnier. So like it was it was kind of a shallow victory really for this, but it, it's it's it is a huge it is a huge thing. When we've seen it so many times, that's naturally going to happen. I think what I enjoyed the most about it was um, Trigger's, well, Roger Lloyd Pack's reaction rather than the fall. I mean, the fall is still impressive, but I've seen it so many times. Uh, but I think, you know, watching the kind of long, drawn-out Trigger reaction was was pretty perfect. So cut to the car. Uh, Mickey, Rodney, and the, the two girls... Uh, making their way home from the club and Mickey is being a top class A star bell end. I, <laughs> I just don't even know what to say. Like he annoys the shit out of me so much and this might be the most annoying thing that he ever does. I just it's literally definitely wanted, the most annoying thing he ever does. I just wanted to punch him. But they drop off Cass's friend and after a bit of a unfortunate prompt from, from Mickey, Rodney's suddenly getting a bit nervous about the fact that he lives in a shithole compared to this really nice house. It's funny, actually. I only thought about this just before we started recording that Cassandra and her mate are actually the yuppies, ironically. <laughs> it's, you know, Cassandra is an up and coming urban woman with money and taking a computer programming course and, and stuff. And, you know, later on, there's all about her and the bank. I mean, Cassandra's definitely a yuppie, certainly a lot more of a yuppie than Dell is. And a shite sight more than Rodney is. Definitely. And there's one thing here that that accidentally got highlighted for me. I don't know if you've ever read it, but in some of the forums and um, different groups, have you ever read anything about someone bringing up Cassandra or uh, Gwyneth Strong's acting? Yeah, uh, she seems to be massively a scapegoat. Not even a scapegoat, because that would imply that there's a problem. But yeah, she, she seems to be a, a deriled figure both as a character and as an actress. And I think it's completely unjustified. Well, it's funny because I've read it, but I never really thought about it or gave it much more of a thought than it's something I never noticed until Rodney says that he asked her to dance for a bet. And she sort of looks down like a sort of child acting, you know, upset, you know, almost that like stuck out bottom lip sort of look there's something about it it felt very contrived and and something that i'd never really noticed before and now i'm kind of a bit worried that as soon as i saw that the next sentence she says kind of feels a little bit awkward and i don't know if it's me projecting after seeing that little faux pas or if actually now i've just been warmed up to this idea and actually it is there and I'd just been sort of ignorant of it. And now I'm going to be picking apart Cassandra as either a character or the acting. So I'm, I'm hoping it isn't the case, but it may have opened some floodgates. I think the thing is she becomes a quite a relatively unlikable character in a lot of ways. But she was always meant to be, I think, in a way, at the opposite side of the coin of Rodney in her childishness. I think that's deliberate in her character. 
I mean, she call, you know, she says she's driving her father's car. And I think she is a bit childish and naive. And actually, I wrote that um, Cassandra comes across really sound in this scene. I thought she'd come across quite nice and interesting. I'd forgotten this kind of courtship part of their relationship. And I found that she came across really well. And I liked her and I could see why they got on. Yeah, I think she does. I think she does come across quite nice for sure. Um, and, and her character is quite pleasant. Um, I mean, you always look up the extras IMDb, but have you actually, did you look up any of the main characters? Have you seen any of her stuff? Have I looked up Gwyneth? No, you know what? I haven't, which is doing her a massive disservice because I definitely looked up um, Tessa Jones heavily. I've just gone on Twitch. I mean, I was just curious if she'd worked loads um, or not since and before and if there was anything to add sort of credence his allegations but I mean she's got 59 credits on IMDB spanning from I don't know 1980 no sorry 1973 up until apparently she was in EastEnders uh, 2016 and in other miniseries and Midsummer Murders so she's certainly not seen as a terrible actor in the industry no I mean actually looking through it looking through it now she's got it starts off being very similar to many uh, IMDb's I look at, loads of different stuff, single episode TV stuff mostly. But then she's got a couple of regular parts in series, just like um, Tessa had. And that is a solid CV. There's, there's no doubt about it. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on it. I, I'm happy either way. If I can add some uh, truth into those allegations, then so be it. Not saying that my opinion is final, but in my own head if I can sort of justify the allegations then happy days um, but I'd probably prefer that that isn't the case so we'll have to see how it goes moving forwards. So we have a classic moment here of TV relationships what always happens someone tells an unnecessary completely stupid lie that will forever doom the relationship and this is what Rodney does here and he claims to live on the King's Avenue gets dropped off there, tries to underplay it. And this is just, just just mental, even for Rodney's character. But he does manage to get a lovely little goodnight kiss, tries to push his luck a little bit, but does know where to stop. Yeah, I think it's actually uh, the first time we've seen a, a romantic um, first kiss sort of scene. Like, it's it's done in a a lot more serious way than any of the other romance we've seen before like it's it's kind of selling it as a nice moment and a bit more than than anything else which is good um but yeah Rodney does try and go in for a bit more but she's a bit dismissive and uh he gets the car gets out the car and lo and behold there's a couple at the window having a little stare down at him and there's a really good bit where Rodney is just talking through his teeth trying to get out of this absolute hellish situation. Hi. Home. Please, Cassandra, go. Yeah, he's, he's absolutely uh, set himself up for disaster here. So pointless. All he's done is destroyed any chance of a future relationship. But this is the, uh, the sitcom trope. Ends up having to walk home in the absolute pissing rain after Cassandra finally drives away and is once again wearing her coat. Oh, 
So this final scene and we're in the flat. Albert manages to convince Dell that he does need some dinner after a bit of all. Uh, midnight midnight fry-up. Love it. Yeah, isn't it? Love it. Oh, I don't know how late it is. The timeline is a bit all over the shizzle here. But uh, it it's definitely a late evening fry-up, which is great. It reminds me of uh, when I was in New Zealand. I worked on uh, ski fields for a season, three or four months, with one of my best mates, uh, Gent, or Nick Gent is his name. And uh, we were a bit out on the Raz, going out for a big night out. And the where we lived was like staff accommodation, and it was catered. So we had one night a week, or one morning a week, where it was cooked breakfast. So we stayed up all night on the beers in the uh, cafeteria, uh, cafeteria area, also the, sort of the common area. And then the chef came in at like half six in the morning. <laughs> All that drunk as a skunk. It's like, here I am, mate, can't wait for breakfast. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, stayed up for, for a very late dinner slash early breakfast. Sounds lovely. It was lovely. The only time, uh, hot hot breakfast just aren't a thing over here. And the only time I ever get like a really good, fry up style meal is if uh, we have it for dinner or maybe like an early dinner like a I mean it's too late to call it a brunch which is when you'd ideally have it but yeah I, I have a, a fry up for dinner occasionally I mean I, I most weekends I have some sort of warm breakfast don't you do poached eggs isn't that a warm breakfast yeah I do, I do a lot of egg and I do a decent amount of egg and bacon but I don't call an egg and bacon a fry up that's just egg and bacon but I mean I, like hash browns beans mushrooms tomatoes like that all all of it that's that's a meal I think if you showed that to any Norwegian and said that's breakfast they they'd like implode oh for sure I mean I've I use it as an excuse I mean all of the places that that I've been living in and or girls I've been with who haven't necessarily been from this country I've always been like you know here's a fry up this is what we do like you know give them a bit of British culture uh any excuse anyone who hasn't had a fry up for breakfast in my company early in the morning generally after a night on the sauce is going to get a fry up it's almost a guarantee is that like you 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 guarantee any girl an early morning fry up like a steak meal exactly that yeah yeah, girl, guy, anyone. If you stay in my house after a night on the Raz, you're going to get a fry up in the morning. That's how it works. Bed and breakfast. Fair play. But Rodney comes in and he is looking like a drowned rat. It's a great exchange here as well. All right. <laughs> what? I said, all right. <laughs> Terrific. <laughs> What's it like out? There's a few spots of rain in the air. Yeah? Might help us shift some of those raincoats, mightn't it? Well, but that one's shrunk, isn't it? And there's a good bit of transparency from, from Dell here, where he says that he can read Rodney like a book, and he proceeds to tell the whole story about how we know exactly what's happened, because Rodney's walked in wet as an otter's pocket. <laughs> Where I love that, that from? I love that saying. <laughs> Where's that from? Well, my mate said it to me once and I've never forgotten it. <laughs> it's good. Authors are great. Um, yeah, I mean, it goes on this long-winded story. It's genius. Obviously, we, we discover it's a complete setup. But uh, it's done It's done beautifully. And the, the setup is kind of good because it's almost like an additional moral to the story. 
is not only is what he did wrong, but he's also let himself kind of lose twice by uh, not thinking about the clues he might have left behind and how Dell's caught him out. Definitely. Um, Double jeopardy. <laughs> uh, Rodney in retaliation puts uh, the old Filofax in the rubbish that Albert's about to be taken out. And Dell goes off in this story about when he was once uh, ashamed of where he lived and he talks about working in the Tower of London, which just a random bit of trivia, David Jason actually once worked um, or studied raven behaviour in um, in the Tower of London. Would you raven, raven behaviour? Yeah, it was for, for a part he was playing in a pantomime apparently. Um, right. I just read that as a bit of trivia randomly. But it's a really Very long random. story um, and it's probably longer than it needs to be. It goes on a little bit in the scene. Yeah, it goes on forever, this bit. But it's a great callback to what Rodney was saying earlier about uh, they come back to the flat and Rodney and Della sent Rodney out to try and sell some uh, stuff to a house that he couldn't and it turns out that Della would just try to get rid of him so he could have his end away. And this whole last five minutes is kind of really clever. It really ties up everything all in one place. You've got that nice little callback Got Albert then comes in and says there's a a phone phone call from Cassandra who's basically given the whole game away, which is why Dell knows what's going on, and just you know he, he tells us think about the cards being stacked, and uh, yeah the whole thing just just sort of comes around and it's kind of like loads of multiple different storylines completed really nicely in this last scene. I really liked it. It's funny, I actually at the time felt it kind of dragged on a little bit with that story from Dale and everything, but you're right, it is all brought together very nicely, and I think n- narratively it's very nicely done. I was think I was kind of done by that point. Yeah, and I, but I thought it was a really good um, example of what is possible with a 45-minute episode. The fact that it all comes together in that way. You can't write like that in 27 minutes. You can't have storylines going off in loads of different places and then tying up in one place. And You can't have like a, a, a little side plot that, that comes out of the end. So for that me, is, it, was, yeah. it was a really nice, like, this is what we can do with 47 minutes. It was kind of a bit more complex than, than everything else we've had before. Yeah, that's all very true. I think maybe the bit that was sounds quite bad, but I think I was thinking, I don't remember how this episode ends, like the last joke that you always end on, which made me think it probably was a bit of a, I don't know, it felt a little bit like a it, it kind of um, faded away, the ending a little bit, in terms of jokes, but yeah, narratively it was very good. But the, uh, the button on the episode is when Rodney thinks it's all over, but Dell's got a different idea. You told her where I lived? Well, bang goes another dream. No, ain't necessarily so, bruv. It ain't necessarily so. <laughs> she phoned up, left her phone number and said that she'd be there till midnight so you could phone her back. You're kidding. She said she wants to hear from you tonight because she's going out tomorrow to buy a couple of tickets for some pop concert. Mm. I bet it's wet, wet, wet. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, cheers, Dill. Oi, where's your number? In my file effect. <laughs> the 
it almost felt closer to a special than it did a regular episode. It, <laughs> yeah. There was a lot there. I mean, it wasn't as kind of high budget, but there was still, it was definitely higher budget than the old episodes. Um, you know, on location in that bar, you've got the club that they go to, you've got the, up, you know, traveling around in the cars, all this loads going on. I mean, just, it must have cost five times as much to make this episode as it did an episode even in series four but it was really good uh lots of jokes more than i remembered just Mm. packed in there and like you said storyline wise it was just really nicely put together um yeah a lot to love i i think as i said at the start i almost didn't want to like this episode as much but there's a reason that these episodes are rated so highly and are, are so well loved is they are brilliantly put together yeah there's no stakes again on this there's no missions from it was purely a social setting and and uh, an updating episode not only has it sort of set the scene for the changes and the transition that we're going through but it's also set the scene for what we can expect from the episodes moving forwards there's obviously an epic moment in this episode and the plot the plot danced a bit all over. There's loads of sort of stuff going on, but it never felt too complicated. It all tied in really nicely and remit, uh, neatly at the end. I thought the romance really seemed genuine, uh, even more so with that, that cut mm. scene. Um, but that, I thought that was filmed really well. Um, I thought it was a really brilliant episode in every way that you could look at it. So it's really no surprises that this came in at number five in best rated episode on on IMDb on that graph that we were talking about last week and i think for what it achieves and the land it lays land it lays i'm probably going to probably put it in my top 5 even though even though i didn't enjoy it as much <laughs> as in the episodes because i remembered the best bits very well which is and that's the thing isn't it if i remember the episode really really well i enjoy it less and that that is just how it works. But no, yeah, there's there is an element of that to it for sure. But objectively, um, easily a top five episode, great episode thus far. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the whole it's very interesting how the the stakes are so low and how that's been a, a quality of a few really good episodes. And there's definitely some higher octane episodes coming up and it'll be interesting to see how how we compare but i really enjoyed this ride it made a lovely evenings viewing i enjoyed it thoroughly there's actually been no stakes what was before who wants to be a millionaire there's no stakes in that no stakes who wants to be a millionaire there's stakes uh yeah but no financial draw stakes i sort of want to be it's about him becoming a millionaire or not i mean it's the definition of stakes there's no there's nothing to lose yeah, that's what that's what that's what I mean. There's nothing to lose. Uh, video nasty. Not really what much stakes in that. T three, T for three, longest night, miracle of Peckham. Most of them. It's funny. You think of only fools and horses as a kind of living on the edge type series of them always like kind of scraping together. And there's lots of references in them being skint. I mean, that was a big part of the frog's legacy. But pretty much every episode is based on optimism in a way. It's like mm. chasing the million rather than trying to avoid poverty because I guess that isn't funny. 
<laughs> that's that's not so much enjoyable. You, it's there. It's the almost there. That's um, that's nice. I mean, we think of some of the early episodes. Maybe the stakes are higher when you've got like um, obviously Friday the Fourteenth and the stuff with Mister uh, with uh, what's his face McKay, their dad coming back and Del being ostracized. I mean, this is all very early stuff. But yeah, it's a lot of it is more. It's more about chasing money than it is losing, and th- this isn't even about that. This is just chilling. Yeah, I mean, when I actually look at all of series five, there's um, there's no like big buy sell stakes loss win moment. I mean, the pressure with love, miracle, miracle of Preckham, longest night, tea for three, video nasty. None of those have really got anything sort of big stakes going on in the way that the other stuff, earlier stuff has. None of the specials, so maybe just the dynamic sort of change, and I'm living a bit in the past. Yeah, I think you think back to episodes like um, a losing streak, and they're actually betting their life on the moment. <laughs> I guess that's the thing you can't you can't play that trick very often. You can come up with different ways that they might make millions, but you can't find out with different ways they'll lose it because it wouldn't be believable. I guess. Yeah, and like, as one door closes as well with the old Lowry doors, they've got all of their capital tied up in it. Like those early, I think they haven't got a lot of money, and that's that's sort of the point, isn't it? Is they don't have a lot, therefore it's easy to lose it all. Yeah, and like long legs of the law, stakes there are massive. Is it? Yeah, well, I mean they're going to all go. You know, their entire house is full of rob shit, and they have got the police coming oh, yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's funny how that that has really changed over time. There's not as they're more chilled mm. and maybe more optimistic. And I think that's a theme that's going to become more so. But yeah, I'm really happy for this longer episode, the bigger budget. Um, looking really forward to series six. Uh, it, this and next series are going to be the most enjoyable one to talk about. Looking forward to next week's episode is Danger UXD. Is that right? This one's high stakes. <laughs> Only like life or death. I don't know about financially. Well, yeah, that's even worse. I mean, they're the highest of stakes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this is definitely. Oh, episode... they won't be skinned. They're just going to die. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely an episode that I remember really well. Um, I think I've even seen it once or twice with uh, my good friend Rich. So it's going to be really uh, fun going over some of those points for sure. Nice. Well, I look forward to that one. What is our music playing us out this week then, Jay? Not so, Waikikiki, Mukikiki, Waikikiki. No, which was a great song. I really have to play that earlier. Um, but right at the end there, I mean, I was looking for the music within it and you know, there's loads of different music played and records and mentioned and blah, blah. But right at the end, um, I always like to kind of, kind of educate myself a little bit with the music where possible. And Dale comes out with a little thing I quoted. It ain't necessarily so. <laughs> which I, I had no idea what it was. So I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole trying to find it. Um, and it was originally a song that came from the Gershwin's opera Porgy and Bess okay. in 1935. And it was sung by one of the characters in there. Um, but it was, it's been re-sung by loads of cool people. Um, which is what I sort of went into. Uh, two of the people it was sung by was Sammy Davis Jr., which we've spoken about before, and he was who comes up a few times here. Yeah. yeah, I think he's close to getting a a couple of features, but we've never actually played him. But uh, today is not his day. Um, I did come across a version by the legend Cab Calloway, 
and I'm very happy to to play a version by Mr. Cab Calloway that even brings in a little bit of scat singing in there, which has no place in the song, but works brilliantly. So, <laughs> nice. yeah, happy to have Cab Calloway sing us out. But thanks for joining us um, for the new series and the new format. Hopefully this hasn't gone on for an age and uh, you'll be up for joining us again next week for Danger UXD. Looking forward to it. Thanks very much, Jay, as always. Thanks, everyone. I'll see you next week. Pleasure, Bob. Thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook forward slash OnlyFoolsBrothers or on Twitter, we're at OnlyFoolsBros. Or if you want to send us a longer message, you can email us at onlyfoolsbrothers at gmail.com. Also really appreciate it if you could give us some sort of rating or review on your podcast app of choice. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Oh, Jonah!